0: Now, my job, I think, is to be the to be an old boat. You know, there's nothing about paying church planning except to send other people off to do it. And I want to talk a little bit about the value of being an old boat that uh, does that, I guess. It's all about a mother church vision. So, if you're part of a mother church, uh, I'm going to be talking to you about a mother church role, and Tim's going to come and talk about it from the other end. Uh, I think when it comes to a day like today and thinking about church planning theories, in fact nothing like planning the church to clarify your mind about what our core business is and Nilo has done a lovely job of raising mm-hmm. that from one Corinthians, and the fact that we are on about preaching Christ crucified. As Presbyterians, which I assume like me most of you are, I think we've got all sorts of ways of that and wanting to be on about our distinctives rather than on about the gospel basics. Now, if you want to be in the business of planning churches, you cannot afford to be about our distinctives, and we've got to do that for core business. Now, Scott, can we flick across to that yeah. website that I showed you earlier? Let's scroll it up. In the Presbyterian Church of Queensland, of which I'm proud to be a part We've been running some evangelistic advertisements in the newspaper lately just a little spot in the courier mail that says the Christ of the cradle is the Christ of the cross and then there's a link to this website called AnswersToLive.com Now please go and have a look at AnswersToLive.com a little bit later but here is the general public seems to the lab, and it's actually our public questions Committee's his website, now it's got a little list of there to go down. Productivity Commission report on gambling. A good death, so that's the euthanasia debate. What's that one? Better from the moderator? Gay marriage. Gay marriage. Now, here's where, where the revelation, have taken the community to find out about Jesus and being Christian. I just want to make the suggestion that that's not a great strategy and I've got to talk to the guys uh, behind this because what it's doing really is burying the message of Christ crucified behind all those issues uh, we invite them to a website and show them all the ways they've got life wrong all the questions that we want to answer for them that are at least three, four or five steps away from the guts of the gospel now there is nothing like planning a church to find out, let me say, the hard way about what's called business and what's not. Because if you are going into the enterprise thing, it's all about all those secondary and tertiary issues, you're not going uh, to be having very effective church. I think just to cut to the chase, uh, the job of old guys like me, mother church guys, is to create an umbrella for new things. There's a challenge for old guys and other church leaders like me to want to pull stuff inwards and grow that sort of empire that Nello was referring to, in a sense, uh, and things have been seen to go well where you are. But instead of that, we've got to condition ourselves to be pushing outwards. Uh, Not to be extending our influence personally, by giving up influence, handing over to a new generation of leaders, doing new and fresh things that are focused in new ways on the poor business of what we're up there. Now, I want to say that is really, really hard. And even when you know it's going to be hard, it's harder than you think. So just one little example of that. I'm going to take you through our story in a a little bit of a case study. But in the first church we planted at a place called Eaton's Hill, when Eaton's Hill became an independent charge in the Presbyterian Church of Queensland. In the process of that, Garnet, my side who was cleaning the church, came to me at Team Meeting one day with a map. And I don't know if you have parish boundaries here in Victoria, we do in Queensland. And he said, Well, here's where I think the line should go on the map. Split off the new parish of Eatons Hill from the Mitchelton parish. And then he drawn a line through the map. that had take a whole sale of my territory? <laughs> and I gulped and sort of spat my coffee yeah, and then realized that I was actually facing a very real way, just a picture of what it looks like, what pain is in being mother church that gives birth and gives away influence and gives away all sorts of other things. It hurts, but guys, if you're a mother church people, that's the sort of pain I think we're being caught too. Just another thing before we really get moving, and that is to say that church planting only really works if you're doing something different so as to make the gospel clear. If you're not going to be freeing up a church plant to be different and fresh and unencumbered by the distractions and the things that make the gospel unclear, if you're not setting up for that reason, I think you're if you're thinking that uh, the enterprise of church planning is just to go and create a little Presbyterian churches exactly on the model of the most traditional Presbyterian church you can think of, it's not going to get traction. So, there's an old saying if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. Uh, so, it is my I want to say this politely and without any charges of heresy coming to the General Assembly of Australia But it is my contention, the risk is it is that we as a denomination are actually getting quite good at obscuring the basics of the gospel to the ordinary everyday Aussie. and so the holy enterprise of church and doing do fresh things is to overcome that Now the other part of my brief today is to talk about vision and the role maybe of leaders of other churches in generating vision. Now you may be a vision sceptic. There are vision sceptics all over the place and as we talk in a bit more detail later I want to address some of the reasons for scepticism. I want to talk about the function of vision and I want to just put out there that when I'm talking about vision it is certainly not talking about something mystical. Most of the vision books you'll read, particularly if they're American vision books, it gets really mystical and really kind of weird I'm not talking about vision in a mystic sense but I'm sure God has a lot to do with it and I pray that he will be a clarity of mind in things to do with vision. But when I'm talking about vision, it's something very practical and it's something specific and it's all to do with a mental process of thinking and talking and planning and working. As I have said on the screen there, it's really, uh, I think, a process where it's really worth working really, really hard to agree on a clear set of words that capture your vision in sense of what you're hoping and praying to And capturing your values, or as Hitler would call it these days, your DNA as an organisation. Uh, because, and this is really pragmatic, you can see there, because it lets you have all the arguments up front. Now, as, as I think about the power of vision and the thing that... Uh, being clear on vision has really done it in a helpful way for us. It's been exactly that. That you can preempt so much stuff, you have a really painful time working through it and discussing it. It's to argue everything out so that you can get on and do it. So you're not being encumbered and stopped all along the way While well, lots of micro-arguments. Uh, and you're doing it hopefully in a way that, you know, everyone's not caught up in the actual doing of the stuff, so it's not personalised. And the more you fight for it, the better it works. The more you tussle over it. I don't mean fight in a bad way, I mean in a healthy way. The more tussling you can do up front, the better it is. Our vision shapes the strategic direction you're going to take. Values or DNA capture the style and focus of what you're going to do. And and I think I'm going to talk in the second session uh, today about developing and and trying to capture and state your DNA uh, and describing the style and focus of what you're going to do. you explain what you're trying to do and give a mental picture of what you're aiming for. And so here it is, as I move into the case study, you'll see these words a few times. Uh, The vision that I'm going to talk about in our case study, the vision we developed, is to grow followers of Jesus by nurturing a network of clear Christ-centered (coughs) churches around Brisbane's north side. Now, I'm going to unpack that and uh, talk about it in a bit of detail. They seem like sort of obvious simple words, but almost all of them are loaded and leave further definition. Just to tell a little bit of the story uh, case study time PCQ Church is on Brisbane's north side. Now, that's my presbytery I talk about Brisbane's north side. It's presbytery. Uh, in 2005 there were eight congregations averaging 27 attendance and declining. There were three congregations averaging 100 to 200 and fairly stable. And there are two congregations, the Korean Church and Mitchelton, uh, over 300 and growing. Now it's an interesting sort of picture and a challenging sort of picture. And the thing we realised back then, there were a few things we realised. What was the just congregations, they're not there. Sure they shall remain on the um, But so we at Mitchelton realised we were one of the growing churches. We were without meaning to or wanting to actually sucking people inwards from some of those smaller churches as they were looking for a youth group for their kids, as they were looking for a, a kids program. Uh, there was just a natural gravitational pull. Uh, we were viewed with suspicion largely by the and those smaller churches in the Presbytery, and if not suspicion, at least with some sort of dismay because i seeing a small number of people being gravitationally sucked to us. And we really did want to use what we had and what we were to help and transform around our presbytery for the sake of gospel growth, not just where we were, but elsewhere. So in a sense we wanted to be good citizens of the denomination rather than uh, pulling people in, we wanted to be helping them grow. And in a sense, I guess to be honest, wanting to help some of them change so they could uh, develop and grow a bit So, after a lot of work, the vision statement I showed before the thing came up, and I'm going to unpack a little bit later for you, there were three phases. In our vision, uh, there in the notes. This is phase two of our vision because our first phase was to, in a sense, re energise and shape up our church. So it was a growing church. But uh, there is the wording, uh, there is the wording, sorry, from the vision as we developed it. And just the phrases in the bowl are unpacked a little bit underneath. I just want to give a sense of the fact that. Work went into those words, and the right words had to be chosen for a number of reasons, which may become obvious to you as we look at it. First of all, grown followers of Jesus was the phrase, and is the phrase that's our motto phrase, really growing followers of Jesus, as a way of hopefully just constantly bringing people back to the fact that we're on about Jesus as a church. We're not about growing Presbyterians, we're about growing followers of Jesus, and pardon me for saying that. But we keep that front and centre, and it works in two ways, we want to grow as followers of Jesus through education, and we want to grow new followers of Jesus through evangelism. So it's a nice little phrase that carries those two meanings, and if you're part of the if you've heard it often enough, we know growing followers of Jesus means that's what we are, and that's what we do. But we wanted to do that by nurturing a network of clear Christ-centered churches around Brisbane's north side. Just going back with the obvious one, Brisbane's north side, this is talking about a presbytery region, and that's our code, we didn't want to say around Brisbane presbytery, but that was the area where we had some direct influence as a member of the presbytery. We're working within our denominational system. The word nurturing. We debated long and hard and thought long and hard in session and in a number of other folks before we got the right word there. And nurturing is a friendly word. Nurturing is a helping word. We thought that was the very best word we could come up with. So other churches may be happy to be nurtured. They certainly wouldn't be happy to be taken over or dominated. Or have any other thing done to them, maybe, other than the you know, so it's a word we tend to uh, after a lot of work. A network, networks a bit of a helpful buzzword too, it was uh, all going to be informed, supportive, looking for like-mindedness. There's a lot of thought and work being done on that whole idea of networks. No one can stop you being friends. And it's really just about being friends and helping. So ultimately it wasn't, certainly in the early stages, about getting motions past the presbytery or doing stuff. There was some functional stuff in the final session that I'll talk about. In the first instance, it was just about offering, as a bigger church, to be supportive and helpful, and hopefully help some of those small churches move forward. Clear, Christ-centered churches. Now, again I'm going to unpack this a bit later too, but in PCQ, a lot of churches historically have been really law-based. They've, in that way, I think, obscured the gospel of grace. You could easily go and hear sermons where Jesus wasn't front and centre. You could certainly go there and not hear things expressed clearly in contemporary language. So clear, Christ-centered, or in buzzwords, trying to describe just the way we want to see the Bible talk, and things we want to be echoing clearly from churches. I guess the thing about this whole network thing is, as a church, we even feel compelled to help every other church. We want to use our resources to keep doing what we thought was a good and effective model for the gospel. So that was the vision and we felt at that point the vision was clear, concise, attainable, used suitably general language. So how do you get there? Uh, we weren't sure, but the important thing is I guess we had some ideas for step one. And as I unpack the sort of steps that have played out in our little case study, we really had no idea of anything other than step one at the start here is a very complicated hard to find map and there's a simplified version Uh, but if you just look there that's just from google maps (coughs) Brisbane north side it's just suburbs like you've got here in Melbourne I guess and Mitchelton is up there on green dot. I think it's easier to go to the next slide and uh, take all the details out. So can you get a clear stuff for this one for green? Oh the top left. There. No. Top, top left. Top left. Top left, it's the right. You didn't Yeah. Oh, that confused me. Sorry. No in the middle. <laughs> I can't see where I was. Mitchelton's there. All right, good. (laughs) I know Brisbane like the (laughs) background here. Now, the first cab off the ramp for us, if you can read any of the writings, they've got year dates beside them. But the thing we had in mind as we were developing that vision was we had a really good couple working with us, Andrew Richardson and his wife Simone. Andrew was just finishing off his ordination subject at college. And Clayfield was one of those struggling older churches that was declining and declining and declining. And so in a process I'm going to describe later on, but it was through the church extension committee of our presbytery, we offered Andrew and Simone to Clayfield, we offered some financial support to Clayfield to help that happen, uh, we offered a few people to go along and uh, part of restarting things, and that was the first cab off the rank as a church renewal rather than a church plan. As time went by, uh, the same opportunities presented themselves at Wilston, which is right in the city centre with Stuart and Kathy Atkinson, who also worked with us through a ministry traineeship and uh, exactly the same process through the Church Extension Committee and with uh, the assistance of a very, very gracious former minister there who uh, did a great transition with Stuart. The next year we were ready for our first real church plant and that was at Eaton's Hill up in the northern suburbs just getting out to the sort of area where people have got five acre little blocks right on the edge of the city but uh, through that into suburbia and right on the very very edge of our presbytery boundary, and when I say on the edge of our presbytery boundary on a road that uh, forms the boundary in the next presbytery. And there was um, some logic to that, there were a number of reasons for it. Partly we had to find the right venue at school and that's where it is, but also we wanted to be as far away from Mitchelton as we could be geographically. And it was also an area where we had a whole cluster of people going into the church. Uh, so, again, more detail on that in a little while. That was 2007. 2009, the village church at Kelvin Grove, urban village, which is in the Uni Lecture Theatre right on the very edge of the city. And that was planned by splitting our own congregation in half and sending them off. And to some of the benefits of networking and friendship networks, it's really right in the heart of Wilson Parish and Stuart Atkinson, who's now the uh, minister there and part of that network, is quite happy to have us do something. There. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have parish members? Some, some do still. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But really it's sidestepped any dramas and issues that we could have had. Uh, by virtue of state we're a network of colleagues and friends so the point we've arrived at after five or six years of that we kind of think and we do this analysis people are happy in Brisbane to drive eight or nine minutes to church but once we get past that radius you get very few people coming Uh, And what we've ended up with is pretty good coverage across our presbytery of a clear Christ-centered church that's trying to make the gospel really clear within an eight-minute drive radius of just about everyone in that patch over which we have influence as a church as part of the presbytery. Now, my brief is to talk about the role of the senior minister. So, let's do that. And you can uh, open up the notes if you want to follow along. There, are all, I think the essence of what I want to say is that leadership is a real phenomenon. And I just notice around our denomination and because of the way we're structured and because of our history and because we're not Episcopal and because we hate that sort of thing, we can tend to squeeze our whole notion of leadership And and the problem is that committees and boards and councils and presbyteries, they don't dream dreams. They can't, just as a reality. So someone has got to be doing the thinking and the dreaming and the goal setting and seeing the opportunities and the threats. And someone in the realities has to, I mean, it's hard to dream while you're lying awake at night, crying and tossing and turning. But you know the sort of leadership stuff that really has to happen has to be deeply owned and <coughs> deeply struggling with. So there are challenges and there's potential, and there is the, the gospel obligation that you have, and you just cannot sit back and assume that that's going to magically pop out of the session later. Now, I've got dear friends in Presbyterian ministry, and that's been their model ministry. That they're going to wait for the session to decide or think of something or come up with something. And just the way collective groups work, it's a very, very rare thing. If it does happen, it will be somebody in the session taking over that leadership role that's been advocated. So, I want you to push to senior ministers here and say it is your role to do the dreaming and thinking and the foreshadowing. It needs to be you. If you're in a team of one, you are by definition a senior minister. And it needs to happen. It's fascinating the leadership effect. We've just seen it in action in Queensland in a way that I've never really seen so clearly before. I don't know if you uh, ever get to see any Queensland politics on TV, and you probably not I suspect. But our Premier, Anna Bly, is superwoman, and particularly during the floods she was amazingly impressive. The Lord Mayor of Brisbane, Campbell Newman, is a Liberal Party guy, and of Labor. And Campbell Newman also did really well as the Lord Mayor during the floods and gave really clear leadership. But what's happened really curiously in our state politics is Campbell Newman has just resigned as mayor of Brisbane to run for parliament. but He's already been appointed opposition leader before he's been <coughs> elected. And it's just fascinating. The last guy that had, Paul Black, he was just inarticulate and muddled and didn't give any sense of clarity. And Campbell Newman has stepped in and suddenly just there's an energy it's about the opposition. We were just a state with no opposition up to minute. And just because they've got a guy who's, in a sense, and a gift of leader, there's an energy, there's a focus, even not not elected. It's going to be really odd, the election, when Henry's out of his seat, and it's going to be a tangled mess. But, but they've got a young guys out with placards at intersections, as if it's an election campaign, you know, saying Campbell Newman, and it's, it's campaign mode, everyone's energised, and it's simply because he's a guy, right? who's got some skills in giving fear, particular vision and leadership. So things are legal to do, I think, that the senior minister needs to be practising and bolding. Seeing things, dreaming, visualising, describing, persuading, enthusing, encouraging, which is literally meaning give courage to people to actually do something. Uh, And that's hard because it is scary you have got to be giving off a little bit of courage, like the energising. On the downside, you will be little fearing and lying awake at night, and you will ultimately be making things happen. Most importantly, though, I think in this area, a leader will be a clear connecting cross in Bible teacher, because all of this is going to be driven by teaching the Bible in a way that leads people to faith in the Lord Jesus. So that's what we want to be modelling and doing, and that's what planting and Growing Church is going to be about. That is a really scary list, and particularly if you're one of these guys who's been waiting for your session to do all of that, but if you're not going to put all those ingredients in there, I think the church will miss something in what they do. I think it's an interesting thing, and he wouldn't mind me saying it, that Garnet Swan, who was our first raw plant at Eaton's Hill, uh, very literally, when Garnet took on the leadership of that church and that project for the first time, uh, he couldn't sleep. And he laid awake at night, night after night, for for weeks after it was started. unsympathetic as I was, I sort of just smiled and said you feel me? And he sleeps now, it's going well. But there is something, Paul says in Philippians, it's funny enough, he says, pray don't be anxious. In the very next chapter he talks about the burden of anxiety he has for all the churches. So he had them on his mind. I'm sure faithful. So leadership exists. Use it or someone else will. Senior Minister Rob, I think a leader will challenge and reshape the culture of the church. Reworking the DNA. One block. Right. In the next session you know, I want to just unpack this whole idea of looking at DNA and some of the things might lead on blocking. But I think in most churches there will be a need to be more outward looking, to be more concerned for the loss, to be more flexible, to be more able to change and open to newcomers, and to be more culturally aware and contemporary, and, and also gracious in the way we engage. There are all things that also accession. So, senior minister in the midst of all that. How much time are we going to stop? In five. Enough 5 we'll there. there will be a need from early on to be setting an expectation of sacrifice, to be painting a picture of the wider situation for your church and uh, showing the it? do Be creating a carefully worded vision statement that describes goals, and then be ready to live out in costly ways. That's the other reason you get vision cynics, I think, because in the workplace, you know, they'll say, oh, we've got a vision statement do doesn't make me so You've got to have those first steps in mind and there's got to be a price to pay the cost to it really soon. For people to see it starting to play out in action. I think in our contexts it will be an appeal to both gospel and pragmatic benefits of moving into planting and renewing mode. Uh, for example, if you've got people who are passionate about the future of the denomination, the reality is there is a real threat to the future of our denomination. If you look back at that graph of Brisbane's north side, most of the churches have 25 people. Most of those people are 70 or 80 years old. What's the future of the denomination like that? Now, I'm actually a Presbyterian by birth and uh, Presbyterian by passion and I would hate to see that denomination disappear. And so I, I have a very genuine passion about that, along with passion to see more and more people converted and brought into the kingdom. So I, I certainly see both ends of that. But it's really useful if you've got people who aren't passionate about seeing people saved. They might be um, can at least preserve <coughs> the denomination. More senior ministers, well. training young gospel workers has just been fundamental in what we've been doing. And there's another spin we can put on this whole thing of just saying, we've just looked for opportunities to employ guys that we've trained for ministry. I've been really keen to refocus people's minds on the local mission field. We were, oddly in a way, when I first got to Michigan. A church that was really keen on world mission and people all over the place, while right around us, there's just a growing bit. That's go to cool as well. Some, this is a really odd list, just some really pragmatic things as I wrap it up. You've got to be looking ahead a couple of years all the time. So if you're looking to plant a church with a group from your mother church, you'll need to employ the church planner in some other role in your church with two years lead time to take that group away and clean it efficiently. So work with the lead time and again just offer real help and assistance to renewal churches, creating formal cross-congregational connections and build network costs into the budget. That's a very random list of things I can think of that a senior minister's got to be doing all this. Um, Back to the notes, developing the vision. And I'm going to have to stop in a moment. But again, I've just made a point in the notes there that it's not magical or mystical, but it is essential. And it does kind of work, like magic when you've got the right set of words to describe what you're setting out to do. It's like it just pre-programs you to take opportunities as they come along. So as I said before we had Clayfield in mind or I certainly did as we were working up that first phase of the vision but as these other things then came along, as, our, as opportunities came along you could just see how they fitted exactly into our vision of network, nurturing the network across the churches and so we didn't have to have any arguments for debate it was just a matter of trying to work out how we could help what we could facilitate uh, when the right time was, what the right place was so it's It's phenomenally helpful if you've done that groundwork of describing what you're sitting out to do Now in the process, I've talked about the senior minister's role But it's a really interactive thing, I don't want you to miss this And you need to work together with both the positional leaders like your elders management committee But also the real relational leaders and the opinion leaders in the church So elders and officers don't always call the shots And if you've got obstructive elders Look, it's terrible to say that, I know, but it can happen that you have elders who impede possible progress. But if you can get to know the positional not the positional leaders, but the relational leaders in the church, and you can sell to them, uh, some of those obstructive leaders, elders find their squeeze from both sides then, and it can loosen up progress. It's up to you as a leader to initiate process, but even that's a consultative thing. And, and the more you're engaging in conversations with people all around whatever opportunities and contexts you can, and the more you're dialoguing and debating before it even gets formed in any way, the better it is. So if you're dreaming up a vision, you know, I'm really thinking we could help a whole lot of churches around our Presbyterian place. Saying that to people over a cup of tea when you drop in or when you're having a lunch or whatever opportunity. So it's not new news when they start hearing it informally. Anyone you've had a conversation with, they sort of think, oh, yeah, I, I know about this, and they mm-hmm. to it. it's very interactive, and the more conversations it's surrounded with, the better. I think you do need to initiate and then to have something sort of mapped out in your head in a draft form, mm-hmm. but then consult and revise and sell and argue and debate and resolve that. I'll put that whole phase on the notes there but it's constantly being revised and you're constantly taking on board feedback and there's got to be stuff to change so I'm looking at the notes rather than uh, the screen I think it's the same sort of story but the more you can take on board feedback and actually change stuff the better Now, Nello's set the scene really well for us in what he said this morning but I do I just say uh, on the notes there in the middle of that first page. It's all going to go in the context of humble preach. Because as soon as you start talking about stuff, start, it starts to sound potentially, if you're not careful, arrogant, as if you're saying, we'll go to this city or that city and do business, and, and the things James talks about. But I think Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7 are really useful, where he says, I planted the seed, the watered water, but God made it great. And either he plants or he who waters anything, but only God who makes things grow. And I think that actually gives the balance Don was talking about too. Uh, Because the Presbyterian movement is self and nobody plants and nobody waters. And we wonder why God doesn't give the growth. Now the growth ultimately is up to him, but planting and watering is what we're called to do. Um, So just finally, get on the notes, don't minimise the hard bits. So first of all, don't over mystify the vision. The vision process is just a useful plan tool. It, it's a way of bringing out the antagonism up front, dealing with the issues up front, so you can then work for an agreed goal. It's important in the light that, that you don't minimise the hard bits. It's important that you do flag the issues that are going to be contentious and you encourage disagreement up front in consultation and compromise. Have as many disagreements as possible as soon as possible. It'll be up to you as leader to paint a clear picture of the problem or opportunity, spend time persuading people that need action. Be relentlessly positive about the prospect. The um, visionary leader as you do this, and again this isn't mystic stuff, but you need to be able to foresee and help people visualise and take and touch what the positive outcome will look like. But always have plan B in mind. Uh, just to the next page. Clearly articulated vision is, I think, the remedy for we can't, or we don't, or we've never, or we've tried it and it didn't work. It's just the process of talking things through enough detail to get people into so when it comes to wording your vision, I think it needs to be worded in a way that's general enough for flexibility, but clear enough to navigate by. And if you think back to the usefulness of our vision, uh, what it did was it let us see opportunities that would fit the paradigm. So it had sort of deliberate non-specificity in it, but enough clarity of models so we could say, oh, that fits, or that fits, or legs like do this or that. Fits. So, there's some sort of trick in there, I think. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, the wording needs to fit with the political realities of your situation. So, you can't go out there talking about renewing failing churches uh, because no one wants to hear Just again, in, for your reading pleasure, or otherwise, I won't say any more about it but on the second page of my notes there, but just the three stages of vision we've gone through. I, um, rather than going a big grand great vision, and, and again, I might actually be able to step with management practice here in a sense, because I think when I talk vision, it's almost got a lot of strategy embedded back into it. It's, yeah, so I might not be pure vision that I do. But I tend to go for the next phase of what we need. So our first phase, if you read that fine-tuning our the first five years vision, every phrase in the bold print there was something that wasn't a feature of our church that needed it. Um, it wasn't welcoming, open and flexible. When I sent one of the elders when I was being interviewed for a call to mention, it was this is the sort of church people would comfortably bring non-Christian friends to. He laughed and said, why well, would I don't want to do that? Right? So when I put the words welcoming, open and flexible in there, I had something very much in mind. The culture me. That was the first five years. When we got there, the second five years us to the network vision of spreading the uh, influence around through church plants and new ones. And we're just in the process, very, very painfully at the moment, of developing a new vision for the next ten years, which is trying to say... Uh, where the church and where our church plants have grown uh, over the last 10 years we've hit some blockages like our building and all those other things we want to convey somehow we don't want the growth to stop in the next decade and that's our wording that um, hopefully will do that and it's getting into some awkward territory of setting numerical targets and stuff so it's saying we're reaching twice as many people as we were in 2010 by the end of the next decade. Um, That's an awkward thing to say but it's really just trying to capture. we don't want to let our growth patterns stop what do we need to do to do that and already it's generating some really useful um, discussion Your vision really does dictate what you do. If it doesn't, it's not a trick. And if I had time, I would've talked about how even changing a single word, as we did in a session, changes a whole lot of stuff. If you want to tease that out with me later, but it originally said, like that we support our network partners. And now this says, we're supporting our partners in doing the same. There's uh, a clear, Broadening of the focus there. It's been painful progress. I, I don't want really to give the impression that all this is easy and it's all sweetness and light. So, before I hand over to him, just some of the, the realities of it. What we've seen is churches with 25 people becoming churches of 50 people and struggling to get beyond that in the renewals. Plants have gone way faster and way easier, and there's some sort of lesson in that. I think the renewals are really worthwhile. The guys doing that, so Clayfield now I think is up to seven years and it's up to 50 adults. But this year just through work reasons and geography reasons, four couples separately in about three months have moved, four young couples. One of the beautiful things about Clayfield, it was all old people. And now it's got this vibrant family culture, and it's (coughs) You've got 50 people, and you lose four families in three months. You feel like giving up. Andrew and Simone, my constant conversation with them is don't give up. Right? They, it's, it's really hard. Wilson, after four years, up to around 60 adults this month. Wayland Heights, after one year, up from 22 to around 45 adults. Matt Winey loves going around saying we've 100% growth. <laughs> uh, well, it's really only 22 people, but uh, it's really nice. He's enthused. Until, uh, they've been in a really small school building which is now full of people. They've got 70 adults and 70 kids, so 50% of the congregation's kids. But the numbers have been static this year, and this goes Kenmore is another one I didn't mention, which is sort of loosely connected to us as a church plant. And they planted about five years ago and they are planned it again. The funny thing is, People are already comfortable, even though they've just planted five years ago. And they say, oh, we don't want to lose people to the church plant, which is kind of ironic. Uh, the village plant is going um, kind of enthusiastically, and so graphically, it looks like that. And the interesting thing is Mitchelton, as we've sought to help in grow other places, we've grown as well, which I wasn't really surprised by because I think it's a really healthy thing to do keeping and planting and pushing outwards.